Hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. We're so glad you've joined us today. We've just come out of a series called God Is and hopefully that was a blessing. If you haven't seen any of that, you can always go back on YouTube or Facebook and watch the three parts of that series. Um, Today is just a a solo message. Uh, Next week is Mother's Day and we're so thrilled. Pastor Justin's wife Haley is going to be preaching and uh, we're, we're so excited about that. And then we'll begin a brand new series uh, right after the week after Mother's Day um, called Dear Church. It's, it's a look at the seven letters written to the churches in Revelation. And so we're really excited about that series as well. And, and so today we're lo- this, this message is called Free at Last. Now, how many of you would consider yourself to be an atheist? I know many of you listening would be appalled that anyone would think of you as an atheist because an atheist by definition is someone who lacks a belief in God or gods, small g gods. For many of you that identify as a Christian, anyone who doesn't believe in God, the God that you believe in, is an atheist. But it's interesting to note that the earliest Christians were the ones that were referred to as atheists. See, they didn't believe in the Roman gods, the mainstream Roman gods that everybody believed in that were regularly accepted. And so because they didn't believe in these mainstream gods, they were considered to be atheists, like not believing in God. On top of that, they weren't seen as being religious either. They were seen as being non-religious. See, Christianity at this point in the first century was not seen as a religion. When people would ask Christians to point to where their temple was around Rome, Christians would reply, well, we don't have a physical temple. Astonished, those those would then ask, well, then where do your priests perform their duties? And the response was, well, we don't have priests. Then, Then where do you take your sacrifices that you offer up to your God? And Christians of that day would state, Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice of all sacrifices. Jesus was the temple of all temples. Jesus was the priest of all priests. Jesus is all that they needed. And so when you take your eyes off Jesus and Christianity then becomes a religion, well, we lose our way. Because if Christianity is a religion, then rules matter over everything else. If Christianity is a religion, then power structures dictate direction. That's why when Christianity becomes just merely a religion, we watch as our children wander away as soon as they become independent. Because there are times that we get things mixed up. And there's times that we've allowed our kids to be raised in church, but not raised in Christ. And it's happened all too often. And I'll tell you the truth. Following Jesus, modeling our lives after Jesus, surrendering your life to Jesus and everything that comes with that is irresistible. But the same can't be said about religion. You see, religion has flaws. Religion has shackles. Religion will teach you to follow the rules. Religion will will bring guilt and shame on you as you struggle to keep your behavior in check with the expectations that are put upon you. Religion can make you feel like you're trapped. Religion can feel like make you feel like you're in a lifetime sentence. But relationship with Jesus, relationship with Jesus is different. 
See, when you grow up raised in Christ instead of raised in religion, you grow up understanding grace. You understand that grace has come to set us free. You understand that it's God's love and grace that compels you to want to change your behavior, not guilt and condemnation. Religion and relationship create friction. Some of you are a little confused right now because the Bible talks a lot about behavior and, 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 and changing your behavior. And the Bible talks a lot about holiness as well, which is all true. But the behavior change in the holiness comes out of relationship with Jesus, not rules and religion. See, we don't do what we do for the approval of God. Is, I could compare it to my marriage. When I got married, which is in June's coming up on 22 years, there were a list of rules that I agreed to, and then my wife the same. I said that I would love her no matter what came our way. I said that I would care for her in sickness and in health. I said that I would not stray out of our, outside of our marriage in faithfulness. And I wholeheartedly signed up for these things. But then you get married and you find out that there's a whole bunch of other little rules that maybe you didn't sign up for. And it's kind of like a small print in there. But, but if I saw my marriage in that way as a list of rules, a list of obligations, a list of burdens, it wouldn't take long before I felt bitter, angry, resentful, trapped. But the difference is this. I love my wife. I, I am in love with my wife. And because I love my wife as much as I do, I don't see these, these rules or as obligations that come with marriage. I don't see them as burdensome. I delight in loving her. I want to honor her. Out of my love for her, I want to make sure that the things that she finds important are important to me as well. But that comes out of relationship, not from a contract, not from an obligation, not from a license. It's what I want to do. Religion can be defined this way. Man's attempt to earn favor with God and appease him through hard work and acceptance. But that's how many people, even inside the church, think church works. Think that, that their, their faith works. That if I do enough, that one day I will stand before God, and, and when God takes my good deeds and he puts them on the scale, compares it to my bad deeds, as long as the scale tips in favor of my good deeds, then God will accept me. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what we believe here at APA. We know that Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross, a price that we couldn't pay on our own. So in turn, we put our hope and our trust in Jesus, not in our own ability to perform good deeds or, or bad deeds. And so today we look at Paul. Now, Paul was one of the greatest when it came to spreading the good news that Jesus has died for our sins and did what we couldn't do for ourselves. And, and, and he goes around from country to country spreading this good news and this, this incredible, the gospel message. And so we find Paul, he arrives in, on the scene in Galatia. Now, modern day Galatia is, is Turkey. And so Paul arrives basically in Turkey. And Paul goes from one town to another spreading this message of hope. 
And it doesn't go well. And when I say it doesn't go well, it doesn't go well if Paul was expecting huge ovations and fanfare and open arms and trumpets playing. Instead, he's not that well received. So he goes to the first city, and while there are, there are many believers in that city, there are many, many that aren't believers. And those that aren't believers hurl insults at him and mock him to the point where they drive him and his mission, missionary companion Barnabas right out of the city. And so Paul moves on. And from there he goes about 90 miles to his next city. And in that city, the people of that city, they, they, they put together a plot to kill Paul. So he heads off to the next city. And in that city, they throw rocks at him for preaching the message of Jesus and drag him out to the city limits where they leave him there to die. And so we see Paul has this passion to spread the gospel message but he isn't well received. People don't like him. But if you read through the New Testament, you will discover as you read more and more about Paul that he doesn't care. Whether people like him or people don't like him is not Paul's primary concern. Because the mission that God has put on his heart is far more important than how many followers he has on Twitter. And so when this mission trip comes to an end, Paul decides he's going to stop back through all those cities where he was insulted and where he was mocked and threatened and beaten. And he's going to go there to encourage the believers that are there, knowing full well he's not welcomed and he's, he's, he's hated. But for Paul, he's been set free of religion. And with that, he's been set free from what worrying about what people think about him. And these two things often go hand in hand, religion and trying to impress people. But Paul knows there's a lot of believers in these towns that need guidance and they need encouragement and they need him in this moment. And so this, this, this group of believers that have settled in Galatia, they, they, they basically make up two different sects in, in this in, this, uh, in this, this congregation, you have the Jews who have converted from Judaism to become followers of Jesus, is what it was called the way, the, the way of Jesus. And then you have the Gentiles, anybody who was not a Jew. And you have the, both of them are mixing together in this, in this as one church. And so the Jews, they had come from this system that was all about appeasing God by following rules. And how well you follow the rules determined how happy God was with you. And Paul was all too familiar with this mindset because that's what he had come from. And so he tells the, the Jewish followers of Jesus, I know this is how you were brought up. I know this is what you've devoted your life to. I know this is, this is what you, all you know. But the law of Moses isn't going to get us to where we need to go. Jesus has done for us what the law could never do. But here's the problem. There's something about religious systems. Religious systems are all about rules. Because rules allow you to be able to feel superior. When you can follow the rules better than anyone else, you allows you to feel superior than everyone else. It allows you to be able to control everyone else. And so the Jewish leaders mock and despise this new Jew Jesus movement. Because they can't control people or, or, or look down on people and feel superior. 
Because that's not what this Jesus movement's about. This movement's about grace and forgiveness. That's what it's anchored in. And so as soon as you take away the rules, the, the Jewish leaders don't like it. And so these, these new Jewish converts, they're feeling the weight and the, the pressure of the scorn from the, from the other Jews. They find themselves caring what other people think about them. Then you have this other part of the church, is the Gentile believers. And a lot of the Jewish, the Jewish believers, these new Jewish converts, weren't happy to have the Gentiles a part of them. Because the problem was, they'd always looked at the Gentiles as being inferior to them. And now they're expected to worship and commune with them shoulder to shoulder. And they didn't like it. And the Gentiles often felt judged within their own faith group. They were feeling the pressure from the Jews to adopt some of these, the old practices of Judaism. Some of the old rituals. And so the Jewish converts are telling the Gentiles, yes, yes, you need to follow Jesus, but you also need to do some of these other things. One of those things was getting circumcised. And Paul, he's hearing these, this, this back and forth going on and this added pressure the Jewish converts are putting on the Gentile converts. And he says in Galatians 5.12, I just wish those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Uh, how, how do you really feel, Paul? But what you sense here is Paul's passion. He's obviously very disturbed when he sees religion trying to crowd out what true relationship with Jesus is supposed to be. Because he says earlier in chapter 5, verse 1, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up in slavery to the law. Here's what he would say to you and here's what he would say to me today. You've not been set free by grace just so you can go back to the chains what you were enslaved in before. You've not been set free by grace so you can climb back into the jail cell of what other people think about you or your past. See, Jesus came to set you free so you can live free. Shame and guilt no longer have any authority here. You have freedom in Christ so you can live free. But the problem is that many of us, and I include myself, much like the early church in Galatia, we spend far too much time consumed by what other people think about us. The problem becomes when we care more about what people think about us than what God does. That we make our decisions through the filter of what other people think or what other people will say rather than what my Heavenly Father thinks. See, we don't even realize it, but we become prisoners to others' opinions. And Jesus spoke to this when he was addressing the religious leaders. Speaking to the Pharisees, he scolded them at one point, telling them, you care far too much about what people think from the outside, while inside, you're rotting. Inside, you are, you are nothing like what you're trying to present yourself to be. He explains to them, listen, everyone else might be impressed by your clothes. Everyone else might be impressed by your religious resume and your title, but not God. I mean, not only is God not impressed, he's not fooled. 
He sees your inside. He sees your thoughts. He sees your motives. And he pays attention to those things. See, maybe you're listening today and you're, you're doing an inventory of yourself and you're thinking, am I worried about what other people think of me? Do, am I afflicted by this? Am, am I enslaved to the opinions of others? Well, here's some of the symptoms you need to consider. Let's look at a few of them. Number one, you go along with what other people want, and then later you resent it. I mean, we talked about this back in the gossip series we did a while back. Some of you don't speak up when other people gossip about other people, because ultimately you care far more about what people think of you than doing the right thing. And then later, you, you kick yourself that you didn't say something in that moment. You resent yourself because, again, you prioritize what other people think first. Number two, you change what you believe or your core values based on who you're around. This is a big one for teenagers. And they'll often be something at youth group or in church or, or at a retreat or whatever. But then when they get around their school friends, they become someone else. And, and I, I'd like to say this is something that we outgrow, but it's not. Because lots of adults have their church persona, and then they have their work persona. They use different language. They laugh at different jokes. They have a different set of core values when they're not around church. Number three, you read into what others say and do, and then you tie it back to you somehow. It's like, you have, you have a friend who's having a bad day and they, and, and they come in and they're, they're kind of down and a little bit grumpy, maybe a little withdrawn, and instantly you think, I wonder what I did to upset them. You tie it back to you somehow. Number four, you have a hard time asking for help. Because help feels like weakness and, and you never want people to think of you as being weak. You don't ever want anybody to think of you as incapable. So why would I ever ask anybody for help and allow them to see that part of me? I, I care too much about what they think. Number five, you have a hard time saying no. This is a classic one. You're that person that just can't say no when somebody asks you for help or asks you to do something. Every, everyone knows that about you. That's why they always ask you all the time. And so what you do is you say yes, even though you know you should have said no, and you overstretch yourself, you overstretch your time, and you put strain on other areas of your life and in and, and relationships, and you put your family at the back burner at times, and, and the whole time you just wish you had to said no. And then that one time that you do say no, you kind of feel proud of yourself in the moment, but then instantly you just spend the next, little, next amount of time worrying about what other people are thinking that maybe that you're just uncaring or unreasonable. Number six, you are judgmental of others. See, we see this with the religious leaders because putting others down elevates you. And ultimately, that serves your need to be seen as highly regarded. And the last one is you exaggerate the truth to impress because you think what you have to say or what, what the things about you don't stand on their own merit. So you need to boost them up and to look better in other people's eyes. Let me shed some light on this for a moment. We're all struggling with this in some way, some more than others. Some seasons are worse for us than others. But we all deal with this pressure where we want to make people happy. 
And, and we worry about what other people will think or what other people will say about us. And Jesus wants to free you from that. And one of the ways he does this is he gives us a new identity and a fresh start. See, when your identity is rooted not in what other people think, but it's rooted in Jesus, when you understand it doesn't really matter what other, thinks, other people think, when it, doesn't, when it only matters what Jesus thinks, that's freeing. You see, what others people think, other people think becomes less relevant once you really, really grasp that concept that it only matters what God thinks. And so Paul writes this letter to some of the Christians in Galatia that are struggling with this worrying about what other people think and what the, Jewish, the other Jewish leaders are thinking of them. And he says this in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. I like how the message paraphrases this. It says, My authority for writing to you does not come from any popular vote of the people. Nor does it come from the appointment of some human higher up. Paul understood. Not everyone liked him. He was okay with that. Paul didn't care how many likes his Facebook post got. He didn't care who retweeted him. It was much more important to him, this mission. He understood that one day he was going to have to give an answer on the account of his life. And the things that he would have to answer for were not how well people spoke of him. He understand, I can't control how, how people think about me. That's outside my control. He answered to a higher authority. Jesus put it this way and when, he was, when he was talking in Luke chapter 6. He says, be weary when everyone praises you. Be weary when everyone praises you. Which kind of feels strange. Because often, especially as Christians, our goal is to be liked by everyone. But, you know, it's funny. They often say that when a pastor preaches to become the new pastor of a church, and there's a vote by the congregation to vote him or her in, even if the pastor gets 99 out of 100 votes, he or she often becomes obsessed by the one vote that said no. See, we want everyone to like us and the Bible does talk about living in peace with each other, and as far as it depends on us. And, and Peter talks about having a good reputation so that others can see our light and glorify our God in heaven. But then Jesus says, beware when everyone praises you. you see, because you can do your part to keep, keep peace, and you can have a good reputation, but... But when you live this life where you avoid speaking about anything that may rock the boat or challenge people's way of thinking, you tend to blend in with the background noise. You see, coming in September, I've been in ministry for 13 years, and I don't consider myself to be a controversial person. I often like to keep peace. I, I definitely don't seek conflict. But what I've learned over these 13 years, and, and God's been growing me in this area, is to trust the things that God convicts me about. To trust God in the moments where he whispers into my spirit, these are the things that are important. Stand for these things. Even if it means someone is angry with you. Even if it means that someone chooses to not like you because of it. See, there's certain things I know I need to preach that don't give the warm and fuzzy feelings all the time. 
But when Jesus spoke, he upset people with things that they needed to hear when he spoke the truth. So if I'm to preach the things that Jesus taught, Jesus' words will make people feel uncomfortable and convict them from time to time. And sometimes people shoot the messenger. I have to be okay with that. But what you don't want is this. You don't want a church that's only fluffy self-help messages where they're preached and no one is ever challenged. No one ever feels convicted. And everyone goes home feeling happy about the sinful life that they're living. You see, it's, it's easy to listen to the loudest voices in the room and want to please everyone. I have to remind myself that my approval doesn't come from people, it comes from an audience of one. And that's true for you, whatever your context is. Whether it's in your home, whether it's at your work, whether it's at your school, whether it's in your coffee shop, you need to remain faithful to what God's called you to. So if you're living a life where the number one priority that you have is to be liked and keep people happy, let me warn you this. It will be exhausting. It will drain you. And you will be irrelevant. You'll never speak into someone's life with hard truth and have it accepted because of the grace that you displayed because you'll be far more concerned with your reputation than anything else. But as a youth pastor, students used to ask me all the time, Pastor Roy, my friend is doing something that I don't agree with. Maybe it's drugs or or something of that nature. And I'm afraid to say something because if I do, I'm afraid he's going to cut me out of his life. What do I do? My answer would always be the same. If you care more about the person than the relationship, you have to confront it. And, and, And know that there's a chance they will cut you out of their life. But you care about them more than your own reputation. But if you care about keeping a superficial relationship intact and protecting your status within that relationship, well, you can't say anything because it's too risky. So Paul probably struggled with this at some point because he grew up in the right family, with the, went to the right schools. His reputation was based on this spiritual resume that he had. And then Jesus comes along and he blows the whole thing up. And so now, everything Paul would have put on this resume is to impress is no longer relevant. And Paul doesn't care about any of it. Galatians 1.10 says, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. She says, my goal was to be liked by everyone. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I mean, it was obvious to me the time I got hit by the third rock. I'm not trying to win the approval of others. I struggle with this sometimes, worrying about what other people think. Less so in a ministry setting, which is is strange, but more in other areas of my life. I I, I never want to, I never would, I'm not a pushy person, nor would I want to be ever seen as a pushy person, but I'm not aggressive in certain areas. Uh, If, I'm afraid of what people are going to think at times. If I'm in a restaurant and I order a Coke and you bring me a Sprite, I'm just going to drink the Sprite. I'm not going to send it back. If my, my meal would have to be burned to a crisp before I would ever say anything. I'm often worried. I don't want people to think I'm really high maintenance. I saw this early, in my, early on in my son's life, Mason. He was about four years old, and we took him to this 
kinder gym program at a community center. And at the end of the kinder gym program, uh, the, the teacher that was there would give out like a, this treat or sticker or something to the kids before they left. And the kids were really excited and they would all run towards the teacher. And my son, even if he was close to the teacher when it was, when it was time, he would, he would let the one person in, then he'd let the next person in, then he'd let the next person in. He didn't want to, he didn't want to come off as pushy, he didn't want to come off as being, trying to be aggressive or force someone out. And we would laugh because that was just his nature. And every week he was always the last kid because he'd let basically every single kid come because he, he cared what other people thought. And then when he was about seven, I took him to a Blue Jays game one time and, and I bought him a program. He was determined that he was going to get some of the Blue Jays players autographs on this program. And when we got there, we got there a little bit early and the, some of the players were down signing autographs at the front and down near the front there was a big, big crowd of people and I thought to myself, you're I'm sorry, kid, you're never going to get an autograph. And he's like, Dad, I'll be back in a second. I'm going to get some autographs. So he rushed right down there, and I'm thinking, oh, how do I? That he's going to be so disappointed. But what I observed was this. My shy, reserved boy, when it came to having this mission in mind, i got to get some autographs. He pushed through. He squeezed through. He fought his way all, to, all the way to the front. And he came back with a massive smile on his face. He'd got a bunch of autographs from some of the players. I tell you that not so you can cut in front of five people at the grocery store today and say your pastor told you you should not worry about what other people think. It's to point out that when you have a mission in your mind that is of extreme importance, if your main concern is what people think, you're not going to be successful. Paul knew this. Paul lived as a Pharisee. What people thought determined his value. How holy they thought he was determined his position in the religious system that he grew up in. And Paul says, I had to put this way of thinking to death. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You've likely heard this verse. Maybe you've heard it preached. Maybe you heard someone quote it at some point. And the majority of the time, it's used to mean that I put my old life behind me. My rebellious, my sinful past is now behind me. It died with Christ and it's crucified with Christ. And there's nothing wrong with that thinking. It's biblical, but it's not the context of this particular verse. Instead, let's look at the verses before and after in the way the message paraphrases it. It says, what actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I, identi I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or, or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Because he knew, I don't have to do anything to impress God. He loves me, just as I am. He says, Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going to go back on that. Paul says, 
I used to care what people thought. I used to be bound by the religious system that I was in. But since Jesus died for me and gave me this good news in my heart, I no longer care about impressing other people. I have an audience of one. And I'm not going back. There's incredible freedom when you fully understand that your identity is in Jesus, not the opinions of others, not the title that you've been given, not the, the name on an award that you were handed, not the number of Instagram followers that you have. Once your identity is in Christ, Paul says, I cannot go back. You can't. You can't go back to the chains of others' opinions. You can't go back to the jail cell of religion. You can't go back. All that matters is what he says about you. Let's pray. God, I think when it comes to people's opinions, I think we're all in some way probably care too much. And ultimately, when it comes down to it, the only person that we need to, to impress is you. And even then, we don't have to do anything to impress you. You're already impressed and love us like a child. And so, God, I pray that, um, that for those that are listening today, this is actually a real, real struggle. This is, this is binding. This, is, this has held them back for so many, so many years. God, I pray that they would fully understand that the opinions of others are fleeting. They change day by day, but your opinion of us never, ever changes. And so, God, I pray that we wouldn't allow the opinions of others to dictate our plans, allow the opinions of others to dictate decisions that we make, because it happens all too often. But we would be so confident who we are in Christ that we would just we would just brush off the dust off our feet in the same way Paul and Barnabas left those towns behind and brushed off the dust off their feet as they went to the next town, fully confident of who they were in Christ. I pray that would be freeing for us. I pray that that, that, would, that would just release us today and that we would have an attitude of I cannot go back to what I was bound to before. God, let there be freedom today for, for someone out there who's just been way too worried about what other people think. Let them know how much you care about them, how much you love them, and how much they identify with you. Amen.